With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, uh, welcome to the Anonymous Eagle Podcast, the inaugural edition of the Anonymous Eagle Podcast. Love getting the text right as I'm doing the intro. <laughs> that is fantastic. My name is Patrick Leary, and I'm here with Sam Newberry. Uh, we are both uh, contributors to Anonymous Eagle. Sam is significantly more active than myself. Um, I am a reporter for 48, 40 hours a week, at least. So uh, I, ha- I don't know. Sam, Sam uses his uh, free time to contribute to Anonymous Eagle a lot more than I do. But- well, I mean... I, I write anyway in my job too, mm-hmm. so it's really, it's kind of just an extension of the fact that I wanted to be a sports journalist and then never really, oh, sure. sh- never really chose to go to a journalism school or anything, but it allows me to keep writing about things I care about, namely Marquette sports, yeah. as a hobby. So as a, as background for us, um, I was the uh, sports editor of the, it was the Marquette Tribune back then, it's probably now called the Marquette Wire, for about three semesters um and uh covering the elite eight team in 2013 yep and into 2014 um and you uh what uh, uh big east coast bias yeah for how long that's sb nations yeah. uh, big east blog for how long uh so i started writing for him in 2016 so basically after the 2016 season um Actually, it was really funny, and we're going to get into a little bit of this mm-hmm. um, as we talk a little bit more, but uh, I, my my preview article, the first article I wrote for them to like show them my writing skills was why Henry Ellenson was both my favorite and least favorite player of all time. Oh, sure. So, um, yeah, I started covering Marquette for Big East Coast Bias, uh, SB Nation's site for the Big East Coast Basketball. Um, Big East Coast basketball. Big East Coast basketball, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's hard to separate the two. And then uh, sort of switched over to contributing a little bit less there. At, at the time, I was doing mm-hmm. a full gauntlet of writing for... Sure, and... Yeah, I was doing be, media coverage. To there. be clear, you did five years at Marquette. What was your major? Computer engineering. Yeah, so like for you to contribute to a sports blog is kind of a big deal. Like For me, I was a journalism major at Marquette. Not certainly not the most demanding uh, major by any means, but you were uh, for you to have that sort of impact. I also wrote for, gosh, maybe a few consistent months for Big East Coast Bias, so we've got some experience there. But um, we talked to Andy. Um, Andy's never had a podcast um, on Anonymous Eagle, never been able to get anything off the ground. So we decided, hey man, this is something we want to do. Um, and so instead of sort of jumping into a season preview sort of sharing our uh, takes on stuff that we haven't really established our um, bona fides opinions of. Um, we're going to go through uh, the first four years of Steve Wojciechowski's tenure and sort of just talk point by point about some of sort of the bigger um, occurrences over the course of his time as Marquette's coach, um, share some of our experience with it, and then we're hoping to eventually get to a season preview uh, sometime in 
the next couple of weeks um, before it really picks up with UMBC on November 6th. Um, so let's get into it. Um, I want to start on March 21st, 2014. Um, that was the day that Buzz Williams announced that he was leaving Marquette um, for Virginia Tech. Um, and I will share my experience with that. I remember getting a text from someone I know in the athletics department telling me that something's going on. All the players are getting called into a meeting. Something is happening. We're not sure what it is. And I think about 45 minutes later, Jeff Goodman was out in front of it. Jeff Goodman, big Buzz Williams guy, um, was out in front of it with Buzz Williams going to Virginia Tech, um, leaving Marquette. And at the time, they'd just come off a very disappointing season. Um, everyone going into 2014 was picking, um, uh, excuse me, 20, yeah, 2014, 2013-14. Everyone was picking either Marquette or Creighton to win the Big East that year, and Marquette missed the tournament. Um, and it was a huge disappointment. Um, and there was a lot of internal strife within the athletic department. And I think Buzz leaving at the time was a head-scratcher more based on the destination than it was any sort of factor of Buzz is leaving. I think but you know Buzz to Texas has has always been a you know a joke or an inside joke and a rumor. But when he went to Virginia Tech and I'm just pulling up what it says on Buzz's Wikipedia page right now. This is a direct quote from from Buzz's Wikipedia page. The move had critics questioning why he would leave Marquette for, in the words of the Washington Post, the ACC's stepchild program. <laughs> like, that, that's, that's a very harsh character. I mean, Virginia Tech is not a good historical basketball program by any means. But And then the Chicago Sun-Times characterized it as a head-scratching move to an ACC bottom feeder. It's just, it, it was a very interesting move at the time, and I think... A lot of what the discussion um, around it was was the Big East was in transition and Buzz was jumping ship to the ACC, which was in a much better shape financially. Um, but I don't know, Sam. What do you what do you remember about Buzz uh, leaving? Um, you were a sophomore at the time. Yeah, I was. A, so I was a. Yeah, that was the end of my sophomore yep. year, uh, and I was. I remember very distinctly. Um, and while trying to keep this at least PG thirteen. Sure. I, I remember waking up with just a bit of a, a hangover that morning, sure. um, and going with my friends to Mashuda, which oh, was Mashuda. which was a hike for us because we lived at the other end of campus. Uh, and on our way there, all of our phones start blowing up, buzzing, or, yeah, buzzing. Ba-dum. Sorry, uh, but I just remember all of us looked down on our phones at once, and all of us were huge Marquette basketball fans, and we just go, Buzz Williams is out as Marquette coach, and all of us just like deadpan stare at one another and just stop walking like in the middle of 17th street sure just like what yeah (laughs) so i mean and at the time it made no sense and then the first thing all of us thought was like but 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 yeah like you understand that you have a bad year especially with a group that talented and that's still one of the the sourest tastes that's been left in my mouth is how un that talent was yeah but 
it was just unbelievable to say Buzz Williams, you know, our programs, like, like he was eccentric, he was weird, he was out there, but he was our guy. Like, sure. It was so weird to watch this person that you, like, had monolithically, monolithically associated with Marquette basketball Absolutely. just jump ship like that. Yeah, I think, I think that was something I remember feeling as well was, for better or for worse, most of what you'd associated with Marquette basketball was Buzz Williams-centric. Buzz, the team played in Buzz's image. The team was recruited and constructed in Buzz's image. So much about Marquette was sort of Buzz's ethos as this underdog, scrappy guy from Texas, where when he left, it was like, oh, okay, so what is what do we do now? And um, last thing I want to say about it is I distinctly remember, I don't know if it was later that day or the next day, because it was the 21st when he left was a day that the NCAA tournament was going on. And I remember Buzz going on CBS wearing a Virginia Tech pin on his uh, suit coat. And I just remember being so mad and just in the most like, bitter ex kind of way like spurned by spurned by the the one that got away yeah the one that got away exactly it was it was so frustrating to see that and you know there'd been so much innuendo about buzz not getting along with the athletic director buzz you know being problematic for the athletic department but it really just sort of all came to a head that one day and i just remember sort of being we were kind of jilted as a fan base, and I think, and I think, being jilted kind of explains what happened a couple of days later. Um, everyone calls it sort of the famous done deal saga. Um, I remember um, being a little bit separated from it. Um, I wasn't doing any sort of digging myself, even though I was you know the beat reporter or whatever the hell I was for um the student newspaper at the time I wasn't doing any digging I was just sort of following what was happening on Twitter and um it's always a good one to to Andy's post from March 25th 2014 recapping the day it was the 24th was done deal day and his recap of it is fantastic um it basically starts um around one o'clock um tweets start coming out about Shaka. It, people around the program, Jerry Meyer from 24-7, Jim Ganser, um, the founder of the Milwaukee Pro-Am, um, tweeting about it. Michael Hunt was the just awful beat reporter uh, at the Journal Sentinel at the time. Um, I'm, wow, call I'm fine. I'm fine with that opinion. Um, Matt Velasquez and Ben Steele have just completely um, taken that beat to the next level in recent years but he was saying he was not very versed in twitter but he was saying things could happen fast um at the time um i'm going to an article that actually published that day march 24th um that kyle de bravo is a guy that i worked with um at uh, the student newspaper he wrote um three candidates that could replace buzz williams and the three he talked about were Shaka Smart, of course, who is the focus of Done Deal Day. Um, ben Howland, um, in a that was that was just a weird rumor. Um, Howland was sort of a veteran guy that Marquette was reportedly looking at, um, and then Greg Marshall from Wichita State. Which that's a the fact 
and, and I think what that underscores is we were in this state of being jilted and vulnerable after losing our coach, and I, the fan base just thought that Marquette was a job that could attract these massive names. And I guess while Marquette, I think, is a great job just based on how much it care, the school cares about basketball and how much the athletic department spends on basketball, um, at the time, there was just no possible way that a Shaka Smart um, was leaving uh, his spot at VCU to go to Marquette. And, you know, as we saw, he went to Texas a couple years later. And I just think... Marquette fans had no idea how to process um, a coaching search. And at that time, we were just aiming for the, for the skies as a fan base with these big names. And I think that that probably set us up for something like Dundeal, where you had you know people around the program and student media reporters reporting that Shaka was on a plane, on his way to Milwaukee, just surreal stuff like that that never ended up, you know, and that just fizzled out at the end of the day, and it was like, oh, this is back to normal. I don't know. What do you what do you remember from experiencing that? Were you following it on Twitter? I, I was following it on Twitter, but, I mean, you summed up everything that I remember about it. Um, I remember, you know, not – and I'll, I'll admit my – at the time, more ignorance of the Marquette program. I was still a big fan and still went to every home game, all of those things. Skipped class to go to watch Marquette beat Syracuse my freshman year. Sure. Um, that's the that. Jake Thomas game, isn't it? Yeah, that's the Jake Thomas 4.1. Oh, yeah, game. that's I love So, that like, game. I skipped my chemistry class to go to sure. that. And I've always been a big fan, but I wasn't as invested in, say, the inner workings of the program mm-hmm. or, like, you know, I wasn't paying attention to sophomores they were offering in high school right, sure. or, you know, stuff like that. So I remember Mark had Twitter freaking out about it, but I, I, I can't say I was too heavily involved in yeah. it or too heavily absorbed in it. I thought, oh, wow, cool, we're getting shock smart. That's incredible, wow. And then at the end of the day, nothing came of it, and I kind of just forgot about it. I think what I remember most surreal about the whole situation was I, was, I turned on the news that night, and it was like 8.30 or 9 at night, and the sort of... Shaka Saga had sort of come and gone already and they were still reporting like more to come on Shaka Smart to Marquette and I was just like everyone was so out of touch yeah it was uh it was Tom Pippins from Fox 6 I'm scrolling down Andy's article and seeing it he was on the news talking about how he was going to be the next uh Marquette coach and it was just so surreal and I just think as a fan base, Marquette had no idea how to handle something of that gravity um, and didn't really set realistic expectations for themselves. Um, but I will say, I remember a week later, uh, April 1st, which was just, I can't even stress, the worst possible day for that news to come out based on Dundeal having... April Fool's Day be the day that reports start coming out that they had hired Steve Wojciechowski. Um, just because after done deal, you were so scarred by like any sort of reporting on the process that it was just 
you couldn't believe it at first, but but when it started to emerge, I'm, I, I guess I'll call myself a lifelong Duke basketball fan. That's really kind of one of those things that I try to keep under wraps. Um, so, but I really, really liked the hire at the time because of Wojciechowski's um, long time Duke roots. He was Coach K's guy. Um, Collins, um, Chris Collins had left to go to Northwestern already at the time. Um, so Wojo was really the guy. And at the time, like, just on paper, after we had seemingly been just completely blown off by Shaka Smart, um, hiring Wojo, at, he's the top assistant at Duke, essentially, at that time. That just felt like such a positive step after such a negative experience of the done deal process. Um, what do you remember at the time when you heard that Wojo was the next coach? Well, I remember very distinctly. Um, I mean, I'd always been familiar with Wojo with the player, and I knew that he was on Coach K's staff. What I w- didn't really realize at the time was that he was actually, you know, between him and Jeff Capel, 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 Capel. Okay. This is episode one of 16,000 of Sam Says Somebody's Name Wrong. Yeah, there you go. But, yeah. um, so I remember, like, he and Jeff Cable were the two big recruiters for right. Coach Wojo. Or Coach K. Coach K, yep, sure. Um, and so that was really exciting to me because, I mean, let's be honest here, Marquette's had a lot of great players come in as freshmen, but even in the Buzz era, but most of Buzz's recruiting was done at the JUCO level and done it you know like in the transfer market and finding sort of these diamonds in the rough i mean you look at who he pulled in with jimmy butler right. and you know, well, i mean De- Devonte gardner is the ultimate example of that that was oh. a guy that was I mean, he would always say was like 300 pounds 350 pounds when he met him and nobody was offering him and he turned him into a starting center it, yeah. buzz was not a guy that um would uh, bring in the top top names. And you're right, getting a guy f- who was recruiting for Duke was a huge yeah. coup. Uh, and obviously, I mean, Buzz made it work. I'm not ever going to be mad with the results that Buzz had, but it was nice to see that, like, that program relevance of, like, Marquette has always been a big name. I mean, like, I grew up in the middle of nowhere and still knew where Marquette was. and mm-hmm. um, Middle of nowhere, Illinois. It's, yeah. That's a little bit more relevant to Marquette than just the middle of nowhere. That's anywhere. fair, but Everyone, yeah. everyone comes from somewhere in Illinois if you go to Marquette. That's a very important thing to remember. But that notwithstanding, like, obviously I knew who Dwayne Wade was. I remember watching in, like, the third grade uh, Marquette go to the Final Four. Um, you know, I remember the consistent success they had as a program, especially as I was getting into high school and paying a lot more attention to college basketball. Um, so it was nice to see that, like, we were getting somebody that was going to promote that Marquette brand and bring in the big names. And I mean, you look at, like, he got Henry Allenson and he got um, the, the Housers and he got Marcus sure. Howard. Um, like, you look at who he brought in, and yeah, it was awesome. So at the time, I was I was really, really, really optimistic about the hire. I understood it was going to be a first-time head coaching deal, and I also understood that he was not going to be inheriting a great roster. So, yeah, so and, I, and let's, let's get into that because that was really – the I had as a fan never I was a Duke fan my entire life um I grew up in Seattle Washington um with Washington and the entire 
time I was aware of their program. Lorenzo Romar was the coach. As a basketball fan, I had never really experienced what a coach transition looks like. And it fair to say that Buzz's, the kind of guy that Buzz's, Buzz recruited was a lo- would be loyal to Buzz. And so the aftermath of that coaching change, um, they had a five-man uh, recruiting class coming in and only Sandy Cohen sticks around. And so you, you end up looking at a really, really shallow roster, um, which will come to define Steve Wojciechowski's teams for a number of his initial years. Um, but I guess the big coup is Matt Carlino. Um, Matt Carlino um, was essentially like Jimmer Light. Was what he was at the time, and so bringing him in um, was awesome. Um, that was a source of optimism. Um, but I kind of, even going into the year, you kind of knew that you couldn't expect a ton from this team, um, especially since they were so thin. And really, the biggest problem was they didn't have a big guy. Uh, Luke Fisher wouldn't become eligible until after the Wisconsin game. Uh, so you had to play your first eight games of the season with essentially Steve Taylor and Deontay Burton as your and Juan Anderson to a certain extent as your de facto big men and that just wasn't going to be a recipe for success. And I think um, you know they they played their home opener. They win their home opener against Tennessee Martin. Um, they go to a good Ohio State team um, in sort of a, uh, a makeup game, so to speak, of the condensation uh, canceled game. Uh, actually, you know what? That would have been two years before. Yeah, because this was. I'm timing that wrong. Th- yeah, this was. So that loss to Ohio State that we're going to get to um, was a cl- it was close ish. They, they, they lost sure. by 11 to number 20 Ohio State, and that was the return game of the home-and-home mm-hmm. that they had where Ohio State came into the Bradley Center sure, uh, and beat Marquette for the first time on their home floor right. for the first time in, yeah. like, 23 games. I think I think we can all agree, though, that sort of the game that sort of opened us up to what this season was going to be like was Nebraska-Omaha. Nebraska-Omaha uh, was 256th in Ken Palm at the time. Um Marquette couldn't guard anyone in this game. Um, it was just, it was the final score was ninety-seven to eighty-nine, and Nebraska Omaha had two guards score twenty-five points. Twenty-five points for a fellow named C.J. Carter and twenty-six for a fellow named Devin Patterson, and it was one of those games where you're sitting in the Bradley Center, Buzz's thing, at least for my initial years at Marquette, and I'm sure you experienced it as well, was Buzz did just not did not lose at home. The team had flaws, oftentimes just could not shoot, but Buzz did not lose at home. And to lose to Nebraska Omaha, and I remember this because um, my family has really strong connections to the Seattle University basketball program. And Nebraska-Omaha would go on to lose that season to Seattle University. And I just remember, like, this is uh, 
it, Seattle University's program was not in super shape at the time. And I just remember being like, oh my goodness, like we were a tournament team two years ago. This is a serious step down. And I think that was sort of the reality of the situation. And if not, um, maybe that Wisconsin game yeah, was what... That was... I just remember being in attendance for that Wisconsin game. It was the one where Marquette lost Wisconsin at home, forty-nine to thirty-eight. Um, it's like a really, it's like a Pac-12 uh, football score, and not an NCAA basketball score. Yeah, it was. That was the most yeah. brutal game of basketball to watch ever. I mean, like, Bo Ryan inspired college basketball is in and of itself horrendous. Yeah, and then you turn in Marquette's worst performance potentially ever on the hardwood. I will, I will say, I remember coming into that game, Wisconsin, this is a Wisconsin team that was number five in Ken Palm at the time. Um, they have Frank Kaminsky, Sam Decker, and Nigel Hayes. And, you know, the game was ugly, but, and Wisconsin plays slow, but to, to hold Wisconsin to 49 points was kind of a victory. In and of itself. I mean, there was a point in the game where it was at least semi-close. And again, Marquette at this time is tasked with stopping Frank Kaminsky, essentially with Deontay Burton. And, I mean, Juan Anderson is plays the most minutes of any Marquette person in that player in that game. And it, Steve Taylor, Juan Anderson, Deontay Burton. And it's it was just... It felt like a just a disaster created by the fact that the roster was so gutted um, well, by Buzz's departure. You want a fun stat from that game? That's sure. Matt Carlino scoring eighteen points, um, and the rest of the team scoring twenty, <laughs> which comes to define the rest of that Marquette season. Sure. But also Marquette going seven of thirty-one from yeah. two. 0 of 5 from Juan Anderson, 1 of 8 from Dwayne Wilson. It was it was, it was the ugliest game of basketball I've ever witnessed. It was it was very ugly. Um, I think at the time, you know, I think at the time, as fans, we probably gave them a pass because it was like, all right, the roster is in rough shape. Um, there's not much we can do about it, and then the roster becomes even more in rough shape. Uh, three days after that game, December 9th, uh, Deontay Burton and John Dawson, two of Marquette's 10 scholarship players, decide that they're going to transfer at the end of the semester. Um, this, you know, you say Deontay Burton, and especially John Dawson. John Dawson was not probably ever going to be an impact player for Marquette. Deontay Burton ended up having a pretty good career at Iowa State um, and is still hanging around the NBA. But at the time, I just think, and this is sort of where the concept of eight strong comes about. And at the time, it's just such a blow because you're already, all right, this team is not going to be able to compete at any sort of high level. And then when you take out two scholarship players and you cut them down to eight, it's just, it's just so devastating, and you don't really realize it at the time, because they actually go on a decent run of they beat Arizona State, who was a substantially higher ranked team than them in Ken Palm at the time, 
beat them at home in Luke Fisher's debut. Luke Fisher was super efficient. Um, and then they beat up on some sub-300 competition. But you're like, okay, they're 8-4. and four. Three of their losses are to Big Ten teams. Maybe this isn't the worst thing ever. And then they lose at DePaul. And the rule about playing DePaul is that you never lose to DePaul. Um, unfortunately, in the Wojo era, that's not always been the case. But they lose to DePaul, and I think when they lose to DePaul, it's sort of the reality of this team is not going to be very good. Um, really hits you in that game. And, uh, I mean, we can talk through the results for the rest of the conference season, but they finished last in the Big East that year. Tied for last, thankfully. Tied for last, you're right. They tie with Creighton. At 4-14, four and 14, and that's yeah. Creighton post-McDermott uh, hangover. Right. So... But it's just, at that point, it's just, it was a really rough season. Um, they start 2-2 two and two, um, in the Big East. Um, they beat Providence and Creighton at the Bradley Center and lose, as we said, at DePaul and at Georgetown. And then they lose 12 of their next 13 games. Yeah. Um, they mix in a, just a confounding three-point road win at Seton Hall. Um, and I'm ch- I'll am check that, but I believe, yeah. So that is that team is freshman Kadeen Carrington, Angel Delgado, Isaiah Whitehead, Desi Rodriguez, and Ishinogo are all on that team as freshmen. They're not good at the time, but that just, it defies explanation that they win that game, but they lose the other 12 in that stretch. Um and then I distinctly remember um, it was the last game I went to as a student, um, senior day against DePaul. They beat DePaul. It was the only game I went to that season where they won um, because that was a I was year. I was home uh, for the Providence game. I wasn't. I was home for the holidays, and then I decided not to go to the Creighton win. Um, so that was. It just finishes a really depressing year, and I just remember at the time it's just. This roster is so gutted, so it, you just need to. We just need to move on, and um, there was optimism because obviously, and jump in. Uh, Henry Ellenson had committed yeah. um, the previous year. Not to mention Hanif Cheatham, Matt Hilt, Sakar Anum, and Tracy Carter, as well as. Um, what a great recruiting class. Us getting the news, even though he wouldn't be eligible at Andrew Rouse, who would be joining Marquette. That's right. That's right. So Andrew you're looking Rouse. at you're looking at all of this positives and you're like, okay, well, every program has a down year. I get it. Like you know, Marquette hadn't really had a down year. It was year a rebuilding time. year. Yeah, and you know, they, they have to happen. Um, and this is where you start to see the first big turnover from Marquette from Guojo teams. I mean uh, the Deontay Burton transfer was definitely more so a personal decision. It was never like a, a player yeah. didn't fit with the program decision. That was, um, and there's a whole bunch of other extra things that went into that that we won't get too much into. Sure. But you lose John Dawson to Liberty. You lose Steve Taylor Jr. He transfers to Toledo That's for a right. graduate year. That one, that one was always interesting to me. Steve, I I knew a little bit, and he. I think initially when Buzz left, he was very hesitant about staying around. Um, he obviously ends up electing to leave 
um, after the eight strong year when he um, he didn't get a ton of playing time, um, but he ended up being um, quite a great uh, fifth-year collegiate player at Toledo. He was one of the best rebounders in the country. Um, but I, I, I think his loss, even though he, he probably didn't fit into the program um, at that point, his loss ends up sort of defining that Ellenson year because not having him significantly hampered their depth up front. It was basically Ellenson, Fisher, and they didn't have anyone else who could play the post. Well, Matt Helt as a freshman center. Yeah, Matt Helt um, as a freshman Matt Helt was always, I feel like, going to be a player that was going to take a couple of years to really carve out his role, and I think that that definitely um, that definitely held up. So that year, um, Marquette starts out the season. Um, they're play- they have a tough season opener, probably one of the tougher season openers as far as a mid major at home I've ever seen them play against Belmont, and they lose by three points. Um, it felt deflating. Um, because it was a game that they, I think, showed some flashes in. Um, and then the next game is really troubling. Um, they have to go to overtime to beat IUPUI, um, which losing that on the heels of losing a season opener to a mid-major would not have been good. And then they probably play... I don't know if they necessarily played a terrible game against Iowa, but they just absolutely were dominated by this Iowa team. And it was that Iowa team from sort of that era, Twenty. this was fall 2015, so 2015-16. Peter Jock is the big one. Yeah, Jared and Utoff. Jared Utoff, these guys that can just really shoot it. And yeah, they shot 12 of 22 from three that game. Um, they were up 48 to 21 at halftime. It, it was one of those games, they were never in it for a second. And you were like, all right, this team is one and two, and they just had the doors blown off of them by Iowa and lost to a mid-major at home. This might be more of the same stuff. And while it kind of ends up being more of the same stuff in the end, um, the next week, Thanksgiving week, when they go to the Barclays Center and play LSU and Arizona State, um, LSU was all... I'm, distinctly remember that game because that's one of Ben Simmons' first times of being on national TV and Ben Simmons at the time was, everyone was like this is the best prospect since LeBron this is just a massive game and Marquette beats LSU by a point, I believe Simmons missed a shot on the last possession Uh, yeah, I think think you'd be right on that Yeah, it was that felt like a huge win for Marquette, even though that LSU team obviously would basically fall to pieces um, because of just how poorly constructed it was as a program. That was the infamous time that Rousey chirped at Ben Simmons from the Marquette bench in a yeah, pull-up. right. So, uh, definitely yeah. laid the laid the seeds for the Andrew Rousey cockiness uh, mm-hmm. streak. But, yeah, so you're looking at, they beat... The mo- they beat the next coming of LeBron. Right. They win that tournament by beating Arizona State in overtime. Um, and you're like, wow, maybe maybe it was just a rough start to the season. Maybe right. Iowa is that good. Maybe Belmont is really good. You know, maybe we just started slow. Uh, they reel off about a 
what is it, one, two, three, four, four straight wins against uh, sub-240 teams, Bad including... Teams. Jackson yeah. State is the best team in that list. That shouldn't be encouraging. Yeah. Then they go and beat Wisconsin away. That was huge. And I was at that game, and it was great. Um, what do you remember about that game being there? Because I was not at it. I Henry Ellenson basically shoved a metaphorical middle finger up to the entire Cole Center. Metaphorical. Yeah. He didn't actually do it, but he went, I pick Marquette, and guess what? We're better than you now. We, yeah. We actually weren't for that season, but we'll keep no, it under wraps. No, definitely not. Know? Um, I, I remember, I think Henry Ellenson in the post-game interview said, like, I just wanted to show them who the best player in Wisconsin was. And that was just, like, earth-shattering at that time. Um, and for a guy that is not really fondly remembered, even though his statistical season was fantastic, I just think a lot of the things around the program at the time, he doesn't, he gets kind of a bad rap because he left after a year. Um, that was sort of his defining moment of him leading that victory and sort of chirping in the post game. Yeah. And I mean, um, without trying to get too much into that talk, sure. it's not every time that you're going to be considered a lottery prospect, go make your money. Yeah. That's where, that is Sam Newberry's official stance on the Henry Ellenson. Oh, yeah. And Please I, feel free to at me. I totally agree. And we can talk about that after we get through the rest of the season. So, um, they, they lose their first two games in the Big East to Seton Hall and Georgetown. They win their next two. They lose at Villanova, predictably. Villanova was number one in Ken Palm at the time. Uh, They lose to a good Xavier team at home by eight points. Um, But then, really, sort of the nail in the coffin for that season is, again, they lose to DePaul. And this one's at home. Um, It's decided on a late Billy Garrett drive to the basket, which was just sick. Billy Garrett had... DePaul is a deplorable program in so many levels, but there were some moments where Billy Garrett was legitimately great in the Big East, and that was one of those, that drive that won that game, um, and really kind of put the nail in the coffin for any sort of hope for that season because, um, you know, you'd felt good about the non-conference outside of the Iowa game and I guess the Belmont loss, but... You're going to try to forgive that. But at that point, you realize, like, ah, oh, yeah, this team is not is not really up to snuff. Um, yeah, and I mean, just at that point, like, that's a game you need to win because so Marquette goes 2-5 and five in the conference after that. If you don't win that, mm-hmm. or if you win that, you're 3-4, you're and four, yeah, it's not great. But they ended up beating St. John's and beating Butler mm-hmm. next. And then you really have, I mean, like, you have to go to Seton Hall, who you've already lost to again, sure. You have to go to Xavier again. That's fine. But then you have Providence at home. You have Creighton at home. You have DePaul away. You have Creighton away. You have Georgetown at home. Like, you you have a lot of, like, winnable games to sure. put you at 9-9 nine and nine maybe in the conference. Yeah. And, I mean, they ended up finishing 8-10. and 10. Yeah, and which is, like, is not terrible in a good Big East. That was a good Big East. That was a, uh, a five-team... Uh, teams in the tournament, Big East, and they honestly, they didn't do terribly. Uh, To finish where they did was somewhat impressive. Um, I guess, again, though, I'll go back to it, it's when Buzz left and took that whole recruiting class with him, this, this team was playing Tracy Carter as its starting point guard as a true freshman. He was playing, he played 60% of the minutes available to him 
Hanif Cheatham as a true freshman, 72% of the minutes available. It was just such a, again, just a thrown together roster as a result of the coaching transition. And, uh, you know, for, for better or for worse, Wojo couldn't really hang on to a lot of the buzz guys. Um, he had a lot of people transfer in and out. Um, and that's, that happens. Um, it's not necessarily his fault, um, but it definitely uh, sort of mired this roster in obscurity. And they lose to a good Xavier team in the second round of the Big East tournament. And that was that. Um, they did not make the NIT. Um, they probably did not deserve to. They actually finished lower in Ken Palm than the eight strong team did, which wow. is crazy to me that they, they finished 97 this year. They finished 93 in the in the eight strong team. Jesus. I would definitely say that this team was significantly better than the eight strong team. That was team. a bar bet I would have lost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But again, it's just a matter of they don't have the depth, the, tra- the coaching transition robbing them of the depth. Mm-hmm. So then they go into 2017, and I think the big... Um, narratives probably going into 2017 were we find they finally have an experienced roster wojo finally has a roster that he can uh that he's got fairly well constructed um he's got seniors in fisher and johnson um he has a couple of transfers uh andrew rousey is eligible now and uh kaiten reinhardt uh Caden Reinhardt, I can't even say that name without sort of remembering his play style, which was fantastic at times and so detrimental at others. Um, and it, it was a pretty well-constructed roster. Um, it's freshman year of Marcus Howard and Sam Hauser. Um, you've got Hanif Cheatham again um, playing a pretty big role, although he was not very good that year. Um... And yeah, you've got a, a senior center in Luke Fisher. Um, unfortunately, again, um, with Matt Helt and Luke Fisher, that's it up front for this team. There really isn't. Well, Sam Hauser ended up playing the four. Right. That was and, a, that which was a is great fine. experiment, but which is fine. Sam, Sam, and Sam will play a small ball four, but again, just Sam can't really guard a guard a four particularly well. He did um, all right, all things considered. Yeah, and it was just another team that was lacking up front because this is the team that really takes what we've come to associate with Wojo's teams into practice, this all-offense, no-defense kind of look. And the first game of the season um, is against Vanderbilt on a neutral court, and they really show that um, that sort of ability – um, they shoot, I guess they only make 13 of 31, but they make 13 threes in that first game. Sam Hauser makes four, and Juwan and Hanif each make three. And I think you look at that, um, and you start to see the, the seeds of this shooting uh, juggernaut. Um, then they lose these two games in, in Madison Square Garden in Michigan and Pittsburgh. And I think that you come down to earth a little bit on it because those Michigan and Pittsburgh, Michigan ends up being pretty good. Pittsburgh doesn't, not really at all. And it's sort of the, the descent of that program. Um, and so you kind of, those feel like missed opportunities. You also lose to Wisconsin. 
Um, and that's a pretty good Wisconsin team still. That's uh, post Kaminsky and Decker, but still half Hayes and Koenig. Yeah. Um, that ends up being a pretty good Wisconsin team that they lose to. Um, and yeah, I mean, you get into the Big East. Um, ten and eight. It's, I mean, and you yeah. have to say that you look at the bad losses in that ten and eight. It's probably a Seton Hall game they should have won away. Right. It's the Butler game at home they threw away. Yep. And. Um, yeah. You know, probably Georgetown away. You shouldn't lose either. To be fair, yeah. Um, but and I was at is, that game. It was miserable. We didn't lose to DePaul. Fantastic. Yeah, Love the that. one year, the one year Wojo hasn't lost to DePaul. He, uh, he makes the tournament. Amazing. Yeah. And yeah, he makes the tournament, and they kind of make the tournament off of this uh, inflated RPI run. They win their last four or five games, and three of those wins are against. Xavier and Creighton, and Xavier and Creighton um, were both down uh, really key players at the time. Uh, Xavier had lost Blewett, Trayvon Blewett, for the season. Um, no, he came back. He came back. Who were, who else were they down? They were, um, it was just him being hurt, then they couldn't figure out their offense. They were actually the last team into the um, field without getting into a play-in game that year. They'd lost Edmund Sumner. Oh, yeah, there it is. They'd lost Edmund Sumner and Trayvon Blue. It was hurt. That's yeah. what it was. They'd lost Edmund Sumner, um, and uh, Creighton had lost Marcus Foster um, by the time Marquette beat them on senior day. Um, Marquette kind of backs into the tournament. I think they, I, I, I would say they probably deserved it. Um, and But I, I just think the whole, uh, this is the first season where you see what's going to dog Wojo until he can fix it is this terrible defense. They finish 168th in defense. Yeah. And 8th uh, in offense. Hundred, Excuse me, 165th in defense and 8th in offense. And that inconsistency is what ends up dogging this Wojo as a coach still today. Um, and they run into a South Carolina team in the first round of the tournament that year. South Carolina makes the Final Four, and they... That was a close game for half. And South Carolina just put the pedal to the metal and just bullied them in the second half of that game. There's never been a scarier player to me than the second half of that game, Sundarius Thornwell. Yeah, Sundarius Thornwell was the just encapsulation of the worst possible player for that Marquette team. 6'5", 6'6", 220-pound winger that could defend, defend, shoot, uh, create just everything. He destroyed them that game. And I think that was a representation of the kind of team that Marquette just was completely um, ill-equipped to play um, because they were so small. Um, they were, uh, and they couldn't, they couldn't really guard. And that's how that comes to an end. But I think at that point, um, you know, when you talk about Kate and Reinhardt, I guess a little bit. Um, but, um, and I guess we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the Nova game. Um, I don't know. It just feels like it's a topic that's been beat to death. Sure. Like I can tell my story again about how I was a credentialed media person at that game and how I completely lost all dignity threw my credential off of my head and sprinted down the stairs to join the court storm sure. in business casual. Um, I can say all that, but like, I mean, that was really the first time, like, yeah, we had won some good games that year, you know? Yeah. But that was the first time you went, wow, we can actually beat the best team in the nation. 
and I think I think that will hold up. Um, even if Wojo were to flame out as a coach um, in the next year or two, um, that one will hold up as that being sort of a defining win. It's his defining win still. For me, I uh, missed that game. I very much regret that. Fun. Yeah, no, it was not good. I had to work late that night. Um, but um, what I'll remember is I got super excited on the back of that win and went to the Providence game, which was the weekend after and the next game, and they lose that by one because, I mean, because a number of things, but the last possession they have the ball and they get Caden Reinhardt the last shot. And Caden Reinhardt was so great at times, so frustrating at other times. Um, essentially won them that Villanova game with his shooting to bring them back. But it was sort of the, that inconsistency, the high of the Nova to the low of the Providence loss. I, I just, that was sort of defined by, defined that team because they couldn't play defense and they couldn't produce consistent results. Yeah. Um, and that sort of carries over into last year. Um, I think they go, I, I think coming in, p- people were saying, okay, the offense is good. It's probably going to regress a little bit, but where they need to improve is in the defense. And obviously it plays out that they don't do that. They don't improve. Um, the defense ranks 182nd um, a year after being 165th. Um, the offense is 12th as opposed to 8th. That's pretty minor. Um, mm-hmm. Still still in the elite. Obviously Marcus's freshman shooting season, he, steps, he uh, doesn't shoot as well from three as a result of everyone realizing that you can't leave that guy open um, at all. Um, but he improves his uh, his uh, around-the-rim game. Um, he misses seven free throws all season and shoots 112, which is absolutely absurd. Um, he, he improved as a player, even though he shot 14% less uh, from three. Um, but again, this team, which kind of will probably be looked back. Um, obviously, we don't have great hindsight right now, but it'll probably be the the Andrew Rousey team, for better or worse, um, and a lot of times for worse. Yeah. Um, because it, Rousey really was, he was the guy on this team. He and Marcus were, um, you know, there were games where Marcus would be dominant. Um, obviously, the uh, Providence 52-point uh, game, um, which will be a defining performance for him and will not be soon forgotten. But this roster really, really... Uh, was carried by the fact that Rousey and Howard were the two best players, but also both sub six feet and defensive liabilities. Um, And that played out. I mean, um, you look at a game that they won um, the year prior against Georgia, they lose that game. And uh, in, on December 2nd of last year, and they lose it because they just can't deal with a guy like a Yante Maiden, who's just a experienced, powerful college big man. Um, they lose to a team like Purdue, um, which had Isaac Haas and, and Matt Harms. That's a that's just not going to work for you. They lose to Wichita State in Maui. Um, that's another really experienced, um, tough team. And those are the kind of teams that they were not equipped um with uh the sort of all or nothing no defense all offense roster that they had to deal with yeah um i don't know do you what do you, 
I mean, you look at a lot of those teams, too, that they lost to. Um, and I guess we, we didn't really mention the fact that they had lost Tracy Carter in the tournament year to transfer. Yes. That ends up being, I think, yeah. still today a huge loss. Yeah. Probably the biggest one of the guys to leave um, under Wojo. Losing Tracy Carter, and it felt so um, avoidable. Well, so it was it was for personal reasons. I think it, you want to be closer to home because you have six sure. family members. So, I mean, obviously you wish the best for him, and you, you say go, you know, go be where you're happy playing basketball. And then, you know, again, roster turnover. So we're still young because not only have we lost Tracy Carter in the middle of his sophomore season the year prior, they lose junior um, Hanif Cheatham. Yep. And then they lose Dwayne Wilson before the season to right. a grad transfer. Right. Like. Your oldest guy is the transfer, Andrew Rousey. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you have... And then, um, you know, Matt Helt's a junior. Like, Matt Helt and Andrew Rousey are the two se- most senior-level people on that team. Yep. And then you have, I mean... Yeah, Marcus Howard is an offensive god. Like, yeah. But he's still a sophomore. Sam Hauser is the, the jack-of-all-trades Swiss Army knife that the team needs. He's still a sophomore. Yeah. Sakari Annum's coming off a redshirt year as a sophomore. I mean, I think he actually had one of the best years in a Marquette Yeah, year. I was going to say, so... We, we talked about this before we started recording, but um, losing Hanif Cheatham was not optimal, obviously. You never want to lose a player um, that can contribute as much as Hanif did. Um, I will I will say, though, I don't think Sakar Anam... I don't think we learn what Sakar Anam is without losing Hanif Cheatham. And I think, I mean, God, Sakar really had some games last year where he was fantastic. And I think that he is a better overall player than Hanif Cheatham. And I don't think we knew that until Hanif Cheatham leaves. So while obviously losing a player of Hanif Cheatham's caliber is never something you want to do, I think Sakarianim benefited greatly from it, and I'm glad that he had the opportunity to do so. But anyway. Yeah, and then, I mean, you also look at the Harry Froling experiment that failed. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel bad because seemed like potentially a great player and... I don't seem like a decent guy, but just didn't wow, work. did not. Work. I just fish out of water. Yeah, like, and really, just didn't have it at all, and it was, and it was difficult to watch him just like sit on the bench when you know that a team, the team could have benefited from a player of his skill set. Yeah, and or <laughs> reputed skill set, what at least it, he looked like on paper would do. Um, and he just really just couldn't ever put it together. And it was really it was really a bummer to watch because that could have really helped this team, I think. Yeah, and I mean, again, you have people like Theo John, Greg Elliott, Jamal Cain being immediately forced into important roles. And while they yep. performed admirably, um, you know, I'm really high on Greg Elliott even with the recurring hand injury that we'll get yeah, into we'll with see. the season preview. We'll see. Um, and I'm really high on Jamal Cain, too. I think Theo John is... <clears throat> A bit more of a project in terms of long-term playing, mm-hmm. but um, you know there, there there are three very talented freshmen that immediately, while they acquit themselves well, immediately have to sure. make an impact on a team looking to return to the tournament. It'd right. be different if, hey, we're gunning for our first tournament in a right. long time. Like there's, a, I think twenty seven us making the tournament in twenty seventeen was great from the fan mm-hmm. standpoint, but it was also awful for an expectation yeah. standpoint. So I'll just say about this con- the conference season. Um, they're four and seven after they lose a tight one to Providence at home. Um, they'd lost four straight at that point. 
Um, and then, so the, the remaining, you know, you figure you probably have to go 10 and 8 without significantly terrible losses to make the tournament out of the Big East. And they're sitting 4 and 7, and their remaining 7 games, they go 5 and 2. But the two losses are probably what I think were the most defining losses of last season. Um, it's a St. John's, they lose to a St. John's team on, it was a, it was, yeah, it was an 11 p.m. Central time start, or excuse me, 11 a.m. Central time start at Karnaseka Arena, and Shimori Pond scores 44 points, and it's one of those games where, I mean, St. John's plays six players in this game, six players. And you just St. John's was not a good team last year. They they were two and eleven in the Big East coming in. Excuse me, that got them to two and eleven. They were one and eleven in the Big East coming in. And I they had I believe didn't they lose their first eleven straight and then beat Villanova? No, so it was they had lost their first eleven straight. They had the random right. Duke game where they beat they Duke. They beat Duke, and then they beat home, Villanova. And then they beat Villanova at Nova. Yeah, it was a very weird, weird St. John's team. And then we draw them right after yeah. those two games. But I just, like, there was no answer for Pons. No. The, nothing that they could do could do it. It could stop him. And I just think that's what you look at for last season as why they couldn't make, they couldn't at least be a competent back end of the tournament team. Yeah. Is that when a a guard was truly in his top gear, they could do absolutely nothing about it. And uh, you know they were never really super close in that game. They they started well, but in the second half, Ponce was just unstoppable, and they they there could they could do nothing about it. No, and then they did the dumb thing and lost to the Ponce. Right, which is again, and it's so absurd, like. Steve Wojciechowski seems like a very competent coach, but he should be better than five and three against Paul. It's it's really embarrassing, really rough. And yeah, that loss is that loss is a killer because I I think at the time most realistic fans were kind of resigned to the fact that they weren't going to make the tournament without putting together some sort of run. I think at that point, I think before the St. John's loss, we were feeling, uh, you know, not optimistic, but we were like, uh, you know. We put together a good run, sure, and we make the first four. Sure, we lose to St. John's. We're like, well, crap. Now we have to win out, right? And we do that. Besides, I mean, we don't have to win the turn, the Big East tournament. You right. probably need to not lose to DePaul in the Big East tournament. Yeah. And um, if you went out after that, I mean, you went out after that, and you're uh, ten and eight. Yeah. You've beaten a, a, some good teams. You've beaten Seton Hall twice. You've beaten Providence once. Um, you know, you've dinged Creighton twice. Like, that's a, a good resume for at least a first four. And then they do the dumb thing in yeah. between those losses, or you, those wins, but, and lose to DePaul. But there was one thing you couldn't do in the Big East, and it was lose to DePaul. Yeah. Because DePaul was not good last year. And they're De- never they're DePaul never was not good last year. Evergreen no. tweet. DePaul is never good. Um, and losing that game was just this team, without being able to play defense, they can't make it happen so i mean they they obviously they go on that nice nit run um i think that that was a cool experience um for fans um to have those uh games in the owl um but 
they kind of sit now, as we sort of spin it forward, in this limbo period where the roster now, with the additions of Joseph Chartuni, Ed Morrow, Joey Hauser, Brendan Bailey, etc., is really geared up to potentially reverse this terrible defense trend. Um, and I think that while the first two years of Wojo's tenure are sort of defined by not having the depth that typically defines um, a high major Division One basketball program, the next two years are defined by these amazing shooting teams that cannot play a lick of defense. And I think going forward, after looking at all that, that's really what needs to change. Um, they need this new balanced roster. So they fixed the problems of the initial two years. Hopefully. Hopefully, by having a balanced roster. Um, and now they need to fix the problems of the last two years, which is just having a terrible defense. Um, and I don't think that there's any way that Wojo can accomplish sort of what the fan base wants out of him in this year five without the defense improving significantly like significantly i don't know any any thoughts on on sort of that looking forward well so i was looking at it so in 2017 the tournament year the defense adjusted efficiency um was ranked 165 at 104.2 Last year, we were 105.6 at an adjusted efficiency, but ranked 182. Okay, so the defense was actually technically better statistically. Statistically better, worse relatively. Right. Okay. Obviously, you're going to go up against great shooting teams in the Big East every night. The Big East isn't exactly a true—it's not, say—I don't even know a good comparison of, like, I guess maybe the SEC of, like, big grinding inside big dudes, you know? Yeah, and, and I think that that's, a, that's an interesting point as we sort of look forward to the season is the Big East is probably a bit down this year just yeah. because Nova lost so much. Um, Xavier lost so Xavier much. Xavier lost so much. Um, Creighton, Creighton is going to be down. It's, it's, it's going to be a— Hall lost everybody. I, to, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Seton Hall. I think it's going to be—the uh, Big East will find a way to be competent. It always does. Those programs are solid enough that a couple of them will rise up in their place. Like St. John's is going to be probably way better than they've been before since they haven't stopped. Providence should be pretty good this year. Providence, yeah. I mean, I, Nova but, hasn't done anything to prove to me that they won't be good. Oh, yeah, and that's the thing. Nova is stepping back as far as their um, proven roster uh, composition goes, but I'm sure they'll still be good. Um, but you're right. I mean, the Big East might be a slightly easier task defensively and I think that's why you're seeing a lot of people picking Marquette um, as as high as second in the conference um, but again nothing unless you improve the depth they've improved the depth problems of the first two years of the tenure but unless you improve the defensive problems of the second two years of his tenure there's no way that Wojo can fulfill the expectations uh, that are put out there for him yeah I agree. And we'll get into more of that as sure. we hit our actual season preview. Sure. Um, 
This actually ran a bit longer than I thought we would go. That's fine. But, um, you know, this was really the introduction to, you know, kind of who we are. Yeah. You know, um, obviously you, you all are anonymous eagle readers. Now you are hopefully anonymous eagle listeners. We hope so. Um, and you'll, you'll probably see shorter podcasts in the future. But yeah. We really wanted to give this breakdown of how, how we felt about the Wojo era so far. Because we really think that the Wojo era so far sets up what this season is going to be. Yeah. This, this will be the defining season yeah. of his tenure. Because, again, like we've said, he's got the best roster he's ever had, and um, the opportunity is there, the expectations are there, this will be the defining year. So we felt, you know, why not uh, look back at what it's been like and uh, try to spin it forward to see if there are, um, you know, things that they can learn from. Um, And I think as we talk about it, as we get closer to the season, um, it's going to be a really important season um, in all respects. Yeah. So, oh, I guess right. I, don't, I don't have anything else to say. Well, um, we hope you enjoyed it, and uh, join us next time as we uh, take a deeper look at the roster as uh, we head into the all-important 2018-19 basketball season. Excellent. All right, so this has been Sam Newberry. And Patrick Leary, thanks very much for listening.